You're listening to a teaching from Get the Word Out and Mary Jean Powers. For more information and audio content, visit www.getthewordout.cc. This is a Bible study on Paul's first letter to Timothy. The question we will be asking is, how did Paul disciple Timothy? Today's topic is discipleship, the basics of discipleship. That's a word we use a lot. I wonder how many of us have truly been discipled with the heart and the intent that Jesus had with his disciples. Frustrated church leaders sometimes tell me that it's nearly impossible to get people to attend the discipleship classes that they offer at church. When I ask them to describe the class, they often tell me that it's a one-hour weekly class about what the church believes, and when they've completed the course, the attendees have an opportunity to fill out a form stating how they want to serve in the church. The conclusion that is often drawn is that their people don't want to be discipled, because they don't attend the classes. I'm pretty sure, though, that this wasn't what Jesus had in mind when he invited potential disciples to follow him. In fact, in John 12, 26, Jesus said, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Let me read it again another way. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. The Greek word for follow means to be on the same way with, to accompany. To serve God, then, is to do his bidding. And in everything we do, to be with him in the process. That sounds really relational to me. Everyone wants a friend. Everyone wants to belong. In Greek, the word disciple means a learner, a pupil. In Matthew 16, 24, for example, Jesus said to his disciples, his learners, his students, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And again, the Greek word for follow means to be on the same way with, to accompany. The learner, according to this description, is in close proximity to the teacher. Some organizations do an excellent job of providing resources for those interested in learning more about Christianity or Jesus or the Bible, books and DVDs and study materials. But often, The necessary missing piece seems to be active, ongoing relationships. People. People learning together to walk with Jesus. And people learning together to walk together. Life on life. You may have heard the expression, doing life together. Jesus certainly did life with his followers, about three and a half years of life together. But is that what discipleship is? eating, sleeping, traveling, ministering together? How can that possibly apply to our present-day lifestyle? The gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry help us understand that the format for Jesus' discipleship model looked like this. At first, the disciples spent time with Jesus. Yes, they traveled together, they ate together, they played together, and they spent a lot of time watching him and listening to Jesus. 
As time went on, they continued to do life together, and sometimes Jesus asked them to help him as he ministered to and loved the people. After daily watching, listening, asking questions, and assisting Jesus full-time, he sent them to practice what they had learned. Following those outreach times, Jesus debriefed them, and he clarified truths about God and identity, about relationships and life. He gave them an opportunity to tell him what they had done and seen and heard. Several years ago, my son and daughter-in-law adopted my grandson into our family. I can't imagine our lives without him. That kid has brought so much joy. Prior to his birth, the adoption agency provided classes for the extended family. The excellent training we received during those days proved invaluable later. They taught us about the sense of rejection and abandonment that adopted children can sometimes carry and how to replace those feelings with acceptance and security and belonging. As my mind was tracking with our new family member and what we might expect, I was simultaneously processing how the same principles might apply to discipleship. Paul talks about our adoption into God's family and how we are chosen sons and daughters of the Almighty. He describes God as a personal and engaged father and fellow believers as our brothers and sisters in Christ. He teaches us the role of spiritual mothers and fathers in the faith. Our God is a family God. He is, within himself, the expression of a perfect family unit, functioning in unity and diversity. Our adoption trainers stressed how vital it would be for the adoptive mom and dad to be the sole source of meeting our grandson's needs during the first several months of his life, and how important it would be for every need to be met as quickly as possible. Our little guy would need to become accustomed to hearing new voices and associate those voices with comfort and provision and belonging. His parents would be the only ones changing diapers and feeding him for quite some time. After Malachi was born, I watched for months as his mom and dad were by his side almost 24 hours a day. The bonding they experienced as a family was, and is, astounding. They prayed over him, sang to him, responded to every cry, and kept him close. They discipled Malachi. He learned that he was chosen and loved and would be consistently cared for. He learned that he was significant, that he was an individual with unique needs that would be responded to and met, and all in the context of a family. As Malachi is discipled by his parents and his brother, and now by his extended family, he has learned what it means to be identified with our specific family. And he has adopted our values, our priorities. He was not just adopted, he was adopted into a family. And the older Kai gets, the more he looks like his mom and dad. His facial expressions and his verbal interactions absolutely reflect that he belongs to our family. We could draw many parallels between family adoption and our biblical understanding of what it means to be part of God's family. But for now, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, you follow me as I follow Christ. 
<laughs> I wonder how many of us would actually wear a t-shirt that said that. You follow me as I follow Christ. You know, we need one another far more than we realize. I need you to take my hand and accompany me down the road of life as we learn together how to follow Jesus and how to be led by his Spirit and how to live as much-loved children of Father God. There are things I know about kingdom living that you don't know, so I'll help you learn what I've learned. But please, please teach me what you have learned. We need each other. It's in the context of relationship that we work out our issues, like iron sharpening iron. If we're not literally spending time together and learning from one another, that can't happen. Only when we spend time together does our true character service, and only when we take time to seek God together for the answers to these challenges do we grow as God designed. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 talk about making disciples. It says to baptize them and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded us. In other words, what are those things that I've learned to obey? Whatever they are, I share them with you. And then I walk with you as you learn them too. And you do the same for me. That's discipleship. It's interesting that the Greek word for to teach means to learn. We're always learning if we teach someone else what we know. The last line in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20. It makes me so happy. Listen. As, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's Jesus talking. This verse focuses on Jesus' constant presence. I am with you. Emmanuel. God with us. What are we really discipling one another to practice and to know? Jesus' presence. We're learning together to host his presence and his kingdom way to do life. We're learning and practicing together to see his kingdom come on earth. We are the light of the world, and how much brighter will his light be if we bring it into the world together? And now for the obvious questions. Who is discipling you? Who is God asking you to disciple? Discipleship is God's idea, his plan for our maturity. If no one is discipling you, ask God to send someone. Ask him to show you who you can ask to disciple you. If you are not discipling someone, ask God who that someone is. The Bible gives us many other discipleship models besides Jesus and his followers. One that I've enjoyed studying is the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Let's look at the epistle of 1 Timothy together and bullet point ways in which Paul discipled Timothy. But first, here's some context. Toward the end of his life, Paul was on house arrest in Rome, and it was during this imprisonment that he wrote the first letter to Pastor Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of a large church of Jesus followers in Ephesus. The relationship between these two men had grown deep, like father and son. We're going to go through this letter quickly, reading only a few of the verses and making notes as we go. At the end, though, we'll make a bullet point list answering this question. How did Paul disciple Timothy? 
Not what did Paul say or what did Paul teach. We are not analyzing text. We are simply looking for various kinds of relational interaction. How did Paul disciple Timothy? And as we walk through these points, listen for characteristics of healthy relationships. What does it take to maintain a healthy relationship with someone? You'll discover a lot of similarities between healthy, sustainable relationships and discipleship relationships. So here we go. Over and over, Paul reminds Timothy of things he already knows. He reminds Timothy about the call of God on his own life. Paul reminds Timothy of instructions he's given him in the past and the reasons for them. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, Paul reminds Timothy of what Jesus' followers believe. In other words, Paul takes Timothy back to the foundations of what they know in their hearts and in their shared experiences. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight holding on to faith and a good conscience. See, Paul reminds Timothy of past prophecies made about him, and in this way, Paul holds Timothy accountable. But he's also interacting with Timothy using very familiar terms. Perhaps it's another way of saying, Timothy, I see you. I know you. Listen to chapter 2, verse 5, and chapter 3, verse 16, to hear how Paul consistently calls Timothy back to the core, the core of everything. It's Jesus, always Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great, he appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Yes, the core of it all is Jesus. Always Jesus. And Paul needed to remind Timothy of this. In chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. This is so important to Paul and to God, and Timothy must learn it as well. Do not neglect your gift. So Paul reminds him. Paul further reminds Timothy of past prophecies. Their relationship is close. They know one another's history, where they've come from, and where they're going. So one thing that Paul does in disciple-making is he reminds Timothy of many things that he already knows. Paul also affirms Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul addresses him as Timothy, my true son in the faith. A well-known affirmation and exhortation is in chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So as Paul disciples Timothy, he reminds him of things he already knows, and he affirms Timothy. Perhaps the greatest thing Paul does for Timothy is teaching. 
Teaching takes many forms in this letter. Instruction, exhortation, explanation, description, and definition. Two verses that summarize Paul's motivation in teaching are found in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Listen to a few additional teaching verses in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Do you hear the voice of the teacher in these verses? In chapter 4, verse 6, Paul defines a good minister for Timothy. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. In other words, if you want to be a good minister, Timothy, here's how. In chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul answers the question, why? He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In chapter 5, Paul not only teaches on relationships, but he also teaches Timothy how to teach the church about relationships. Paul makes it very personal by strongly reminding Timothy about how he is to conduct his own relationships, both as a man and as a pastor. Time and again, Paul teaches and he explains. Timothy, this is what... This is why, and this is how to be a godly minister of Jesus Christ. There are also some personal things that Paul does to disciple Timothy. He blesses Timothy with grace and mercy and peace from God. He retells part of his personal testimony. He shares personal thoughts and his perspective about the basics of salvation. In chapter 1, verse 17, he draws Timothy in to worship with him. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Something we don't often give Paul credit for, but is very important in discipleship, is distinguishing between what is Paul's opinion and what is God's revealed law. Here are a few expressions he uses to make this clear. I want men everywhere to. I also want women to. I do not permit. I counsel younger widows to. 
Paul also expresses concern about Timothy's physical health. And then in chapter 6, verse 20, Paul takes a softer and more personal approach. Guard those whom God has given you, Pastor Timothy. Be careful with people. What a great role model for discipleship, huh? There's so much packed into this little letter. Let's review with bullet points, answering the question, how did Paul disciple Timothy? Remember to take note of how relational disciple-making is. Disciple-makers remind. Again and again they remind. Disciple-makers affirm and reaffirm. They bless. They teach. They share personal things. They teach new thoughts and perspectives on old topics. They facilitate worship together. Disciple-makers instruct. They give illustrations. They urge. They explain why. They reiterate that the center of Christianity is Christ Jesus. Disciple-makers distinguish between their own voice and God's voice. They look forward to pastoral, personal visits. They teach how, not just what. Disciple-makers warn, define, defend, encourage. And they speak into identity. Oh, this one is so important. They exercise spiritual gifts. They confront behavior. They hold accountable. They confront issues of physical health. They shepherd. Sometimes they use strong words. And disciple-makers extend a lot of grace. Please take some time soon to read through Paul's first letter to Timothy. Take notes, verse by verse, and look for all the ways in which Paul walked with Timothy as they followed Jesus together. And now, I'll ask the obvious questions once more. Who is discipling you? Who is God asking you to disciple, and how? Remember, discipleship is God's idea, His plan for our maturity. If no one is discipling you, ask God to send someone. Ask Him to show you who you can ask to disciple you. And if you are not discipling someone else, ask God who that someone is. And now, may God grace you with precious friends, with a community of Jesus followers, and the best blessing of all, His presence. Mm -hmm.